Okay, if you'd open to the book of Hebrews chapter 8, like I say, I'm pretty excited about, about this. It's the payoff to everything we've learned thus far in the book uh, to a large degree. Let's, let's um, ask God's blessing on our time in the Word. Heavenly Father, uh, you know, we, we don't rely on our own wit and wisdom. We rely on the Spirit of God to take this, your message, and place it in our hearts in such a way that's helpful and that we can know and that we can do, we can understand. And Lord, this is such a tremendous uh, blessing here this morning. I just pray that I don't Charlie Brown it. And you know, things can go wrong all the time. We can be distracted. We can be a thousand other places. But I pray that we'll, our attention would be right here, right now, on your word, and that you would be pleased to bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now the things we have spoken, this is the sum. This is sum. We're adding it all up, okay? We've, listen, seven chapters, and some of it has been difficult, frankly, Hebrews is one of the toughest books, for my thinking, in the whole New Testament. There are five warnings. It's kind of built around them. Basically, to the Hebrews, hey, 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 what do you, uh, uh, what do you think you guys are doing believing on Jesus? Come back. We got a temple. We got high priests. We got sacrificial system. We got Moses. We got ordinances. We've got, what do you think you're doing? And there's pressure on the family. And the writer of Hebrews, who I think is Paul, but nobody's really sure, says, hey, look. Uh, that's a bad choice. You're going back to that old system, I'll show you why it's a bad choice. And he argues from the Scriptures to show you it's always been this way. And today he does it in such a magnificent way. Uh, so it, it's those five warnings, and people take those warnings in a way that I, I in the direction I wouldn't take them. There's, there's nothing there. It's empty. Don't go back. Don't, like, you know, the children of Israel, uh, like the children of Israel when they come out of Egypt. Don't go back. There's nothing there. It's slavery, it's bondage, it's death. And he's saying the same thing to the Hebrew Christians at this time. There's no, there's no returning. It wouldn't be a benefit in any way, shape, or form. Now let, let's sum it all up. How did how, we get here? What are we talking about? We have such a high priest, and he's talked about that for the last couple chapters. He compared his priesthood it's after the order of Melchizedek it's not ironic priesthood I mean let's say if Jesus in in the day that he lived he went into the temple started uh offering incense what are you doing here you're not a Levite you're not a priest you're not a you're not Levitical at all you have the tribe of Judah hey get out of here and he's like well I have the right to be here one the temple is my father's house two uh, it's, uh, I, I'm not a, a Levitical, it's true. Uh, my priesthood is way higher than that. I'm a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, and we examined that at length last week. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Is that something? Yeah. Who's on the right hand of the throne in heaven right now? Aaron? Caiaphas? <laughs> I don't think Caiaphas got within a million miles of the right hand of God, if you ask me. Uh, so who's there? Well, Jesus Christ is there. We have a high priest who's seated at the right hand of God in, in the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not men. And you're saying, what? Say what? Say what? I mean, you mean that thing, that edifice in Jerusalem? God didn't pitch that? No. Actually... A man named uh, Solomon did, 
and it was magnificent, and it was glorious, and it was built to the glory of God, and it was sacked by the Babylonians and destroyed and razed right to the ground. And so it was after the Babylonian captivity, it was rebuilt by a man named Zerubbabel. Uh, and uh, he was in the Davidic line as well, uh, like Solomon was. And then later on, a man named Herod, who wasn't even Jewish, never mind in David's line, he reconstructed, re- refurbished, added, and it was an incredible building, and it was an incredible structure, but it's, at this time, it's earmarked for destruction. It was, it was, Jesus is a minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. You mean there's another tabernacle, there's another temple besides the one that's here in Jerusalem? Let's keep reading. For every high priest is ordained off for gifts and sacrifices, which it is of necessity that this man hath somewhat also to offer. What is he saying there? Priests offer sacrifices. This man, i.e. Jesus, did he have an offering? Sure, sure he did. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. Is gifts according to the law a good thing or a bad thing? Well, we understood last week that the law makes nothing perfect. That's why there had to be continual gifts and offerings. You know, I live by the law of God. Well, good luck on that. One, you don't. Two, it doesn't make anything or anyone perfect. It was never designed to. The law shows us perfectly that we're sinners and we can't attain to it. You know, on Wednesday night, if you've been here, we've been going by the, we've been looking at the Sermon of the Mount. Well, I live by the Sermon of the Mount. Uh, no, you don't. You're ridiculous. Nor can you. It's last, the last verse I think we looked at Wednesday night is be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Anyone here signing up for perfection? Yeah, I never make a mistake. I'm just like God. You can't tell us apart. I'm as wise as him, I'm as holy as him, I'm as set up. Nobody makes that argument. You you know what you say? You know what you say to me? Well, nobody's perfect. I'm thinking, right. That's correct. And what you're saying is, well, I'm a sinner too. And I'm feeling you. I am too. I get it. Uh, And here, you understand that the, the priests, the earthly priests, they're, they're making, they're offering gifts according to the law. And they serve as an example of the shadow of heavenly things. Listen, shadow, this changes everything. When God told Moses, make a tabernacle, he says, make it like the pattern of what you see in heaven. The heavens are true. What we see on earth, even if it, in its magnificence, is a shadow. How many of you guys have a kiss, a shadow of your wife? I got the real deal. Why would I? Now, I know. I was going to say, how many of you have kissed a photograph of your spouse? I know you girls used to have a picture of your guy. and you used to have it, you know, under your pillow, and you'd hug it, and it was so, and you'd kiss it, and you'd write your name and his last name <laughs> and a million times. And, but even if you have the picture and the photograph, when you have an opportunity to kiss your spouse, there's no comparison, is there? I've pictured my wife at my work, and I like it. It's good. I don't feel about like picture like I do about her. Doesn't that kind of make sense? These people, they're really in love with the shadow. It's picture of a heavenly, and they're thinking, no, 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 I like the shadow better. Ours is the heavenly. It's the true. 
It's the actual factual. It's the real. It's the substantial. It's not the type, the form, the shadow. I'm talking about types and shadows here. Uh, they serve, these, the earthly priests, they serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern show to thee in the mount. Pattern. You got to understand pattern? Because I use the word type a lot. And do you understand type? Uh, Wednesday night, Wednesday night, I think, we were talking about, I got on the uh, Les Miserables. And you guys will read the book. It's like about five volumes. It's my very favorite. I suggest you have it read to you on LibriVox. Download it, and as you're coming and going, have it read to you because you can't pronounce all those French names. You just can't unless you have a French background. The person who reads that to you does it a marvelous job. Well, in the picture is, is, is the, the, the protagonist, right, uh, Jean Valjean. He's a picture of Jesus in several ways. First, he, in the beginning, he receives grace, and he's changed, and he's transformed. But he becomes a Christ type at the end. You remember, does, any, does anyone know what I'm talking about when I talk about Les Miserables? He's carrying his son-in-law, before he's a son-in-law, through the sewer, the sewer of Paris, through all the sewerage. Okay, I, yeah, we're going to have lunch afterwards. I'm going to try to keep this. Is, <laughs> and he's got him on his back. He's wounded, you remember? And he's carrying him through the sore, and he's even engulfed up to the point where he's completely covered over his head, and he keeps walking forward, and it's like a picture of death, and he comes out the other side. It's a picture of resurrection, carrying his son on his, his would-be son-in-law on his back. And it's a picture of redemption. You know, Jalbert, the uh, inspector, he's a picture of the law. And by the way, he's, uh, in the words of the novel, a bastard, illegitimate, to be sure. Is the law illegitimate? In salvation, yeah. The Bible says the law is good if a man uses it lawfully. But the problem is we don't use it lawfully very often. We think that if we keep the law, we'll be saved. Hey, Bible knows nothing of that. And by the way, let me, allow me to say this. You're ridiculous. You think, I mean, you, you talk to people, and they're ridiculous. You, we do this all the time. We talk to people, well, I never killed anyone. I never cheated on my wife. Oh, you're awesome. You're an amazing specimen. You're, I, I'm sure you're going to be the highest place in heaven. Jesus is going to have to get off his throne and let you sit down. You're so awesome. Is that what you got? That's all you got? I never killed anyone. And then, of course, we looked in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you know, if you've been mad at your brother, you've been angry with him. You're basically a murderer who just doesn't, isn't either lacks opportunity or, or you know the, what's going to await you if you pull the trigger. Don't tell me you've never wanted anyone dead because I don't even believe that. And you want to talk about adultery and what Jesus had to say about lusting after somebody in your heart? No, 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 you're ridiculous. You understand you're ridiculous. Well, if you don't, I understand you're ridiculous. How do you know that? Because I'm just as ridiculous. I get it. I totally get it. Where was I? Ah, so there's a picture, there's a type through that whole thing. And this is, so you understand that. You understand some things like some art is symbolic of other things. It's not exactly as as you would think. You know, there's... uh, I remember, you know, it was a Bible study and somebody got the concept of the lamb dying for the person and Jesus, the lamb of God. And 
And I was there when that, you could see the light bulb. <laughs> you could see the spark in his eyes when he got it. He had that little epiphany, that moment of understanding. Oh, the lamb is a, t- oh, and he got it. And imagine reading through the whole Bible and finally coming across that. Like, you think uh, those things are so obvious. Well, they're not. And until sometimes you connect the dots in such a way that people can't miss them. Look at uh, See that thou make all things according to the pattern showed thee in the mount. Now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry. Why? Because he's in the real, not the type. He's not the shadow man. He's the reality man. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Now look, people say, we got a temple, we got the high priest, we got Yom Kippur, we got Passover, we got, we got, we got, we got. Not for long, you don't. Jesus is, is his, his is substantial. It's going to yeah, that temple you're bragging about, it's a mark for destruction. And in a few years from now, that's going to be leveled to the ground. You understand? Jesus is a better ministry. Uh, is established upon better promises. What do you mean? Well, let's keep reading. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. Doesn't that make sense? But God's been talking about the second covenant all along from their scriptures. What do you mean? For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. He's drawing upon Jeremiah 31, 31. Jeremiah's in the Old Testament. All Hebrew people would believe that Jeremiah was a prophet of God. And what he wrote was the word of God. And he's using your scriptures, but he's been doing this all along. He's using their scriptures to make the point. You should understood that there was a new covenant coming. What are you, Bible illiterate? He's chiding them and the idea like you should have known this all along you should have known that that first covenant had a terminus that's why god was talking about a new covenant and it, and go, he goes on to say not according to the covenant that i made with your fathers in the day when i took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of egypt because they continued not my covenant and i regarded them not saith the lord what's the problem with the law the problem with the law is we can't keep it as demonstrated by the children of israel for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. What's the result of that? Well, the result of that is, verse 11, they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. Have you experienced this? Do you know what it is to have a new heart? Do you know what it is to have a new mind? Do you know what it is to know the Lord in a way that you've never known him before? I remember it. It was February 14th, 1980 for me. I remember it. Religion never did it for me. And I was a religious person being brought up. Religion can't do it. But God does that work in our mind, in our heart, and changes us from the inside out. I'll give you a new heart. Oh, you've been trying to keep the law. How's that working? Not so good, Lord. And he's like, well, forget about it. Let me show you how this works. And he, born again, transformed. If any man being Christ is a new creation, does anyone know what I'm talking about? Am I just talking in a room full of empty... Does anyone here understand? Say, yeah, I know. I'm, I, I get it. I'm, amen. That's a good word. Okay, look. So you get it. You understand. You know what it is to be born again. You know what it is to be transformed. The law never did that for you, nor could it. It was a schoolmaster to show us something, to teach us what? That we're lawbreakers. And it does a great job at that. It can't save us. So when people say, come back to the law, and he's saying, why? 
that, that, that had an end date on it. And it wouldn't have if it was perfect, but it never made anyone perfect, and it couldn't be. So God, even at the beginning, said, hey, I'm going to have a new covenant with you. I'm gonna, uh, this is the covenant I'm going to make with the house of Israel. After this, you say, I'm not the house of Israel. You are. Israel means ruled by God. Uh, and by the way, we're more children of Abraham than Abraham's physical descendants. We've already saw that in Galatians chapter 3. Study it if you don't know what I'm talking about. This is a covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, say, I'll put my law in their mind and write them in our heart. Does that happen to you? It's called being born again. You say, I don't know what you're talking about. What is this? Uh, I, have, I have his law uh, on my mind. Uh, my heart is, I have, I have his law on my heart. You're not born again if that isn't the case. And by the way, I'm not trying to throw you under the bus or, or anything. Come, we'll settle that. We'll, we'll, we'll fix that. You ask Christ in your heart like I did. Save me, Lord. Will he? Oh, yeah. Will he turn you away? No, no way. Yeah, but I've done some wicked things. Yeah, welcome to my life. I'm feeling you. I understand. You know, I saw a video this morning. A guy was talking to a Jehovah's Witness. And he says, okay, I've just been stabbed in the back. You can pull the knife out, but I'm, I'm going to die in two minutes. Lead me to the Lord. Tell me how I can have eternal life. Go. He said, you're going to hell, is what the Jehovah's Witness said. He said, I, I, can't, I can't tell you in two minutes how to... Because he said, you know, you're supposed to you know, have a respect for this and do this. And, do, he says, and basically he was saying, two minutes? You got nothing. You're going to, I'm sorry to say, you're not, you're not going to make it. I thought like, man, that's a flawed system. Could you tell somebody in two minutes how to go to heaven? Easy peasy, right? Does that conversion happen in, in minutes? Yeah, we, we get it. God changes us. He puts His law in our minds. He writes them on our hearts. We know the Lord. Uh, um, everyone shall know me from the least to the greatest. No, no man needs to teach his neighbor. You say, what are you doing? I'm teaching the Bible. And the Bible will help you know more and more about God. We have these bad ideas about God from time to time. We think He's vengeful. He's just God. We think, oh, I did some stuff. I'm in a heap of trouble. Well, let's hang on to that. Look at what he says about himself. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities. I will, I'm sorry, I was getting ridiculous here. I will remember no more. I saw the guy so beautiful. God, you know that thing I was talking about the other day where I messed up and I really blew it? And you know, when I, Adam, what are you talking about? You know, when I did the thing that I, 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 don't, I don't know what you're talking about. You say, what is he, a doddering old man who can't remember stuff? No, 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 no. He knows everything. He can choose to forget. Try that one. Because there are things I wish I couldn't remember. You know, I, I hear people from time to time, you know, I can't, I can't forgive until I forget. Wait, what? What verse are you leaning on? I hope you don't think this one says that. I forgive and I never forget. It's not like I... I'm holding it against somebody, but I, when somebody's betrayed me and stabbed me in the back, I remember that. I'm not, I wish I could forget it. What I'm saying when I say I forgive you, I'm, I say I'm stepping out on faith. I don't feel good about what you've done, but I choose to just not hold it against you. I'm not going to bring it up anymore. I'm not going to rub your nose in it. That's what I mean when I say I forgive. What do you mean? 
I'm saying like, I leave my gift at the altar and I go and make something right because it's so important. So you come to the altar, right? And what is that all about? Because I'm thinking Sermon on the Mount because we were just there. I'm making an offering and I'm asking God to forgive me. Oh, but I have something against this person. I'm not willing to forgive them. And I'm asking God to forgive me. What's wrong with that picture? He's saying I won't do it. I won't do it. You forgive. And we do that in faith. It doesn't mean we feel good about what happened. That's ridiculous. Never feel good about what happened. Well, I can't forget. Who's asking you to? God says your sins and your iniquities. I will forget them. I think that's awesome. Is there come a day where we're just going to stand before God and He's going to open this big scroll? It's going to hit the ground and roll out about 80 feet and we're thinking, oh, my name is Mud. And he's going to start asking, what about this time you took my name in vain? Oh, adultery. <laughs> adultery. You think you're getting into heaven? Adultery? Adultery? And he's going to start reading down the list. And, and we're, oh, we're, we're done. We're toast. Eternally. No, it's, there's a scroll. It's all blacked out. It's all redded out. Washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. There's nothing there. Will he judge us? Yeah, he judges our motives. He judges our, our opportunities to serve him. And we're rewarded, or there's a lack of reward based on what we've done or what we failed to do or what a motive was when we did it. Do we, do we answer for our sins? Look, guys, listen, that's approaching blasphemy. Jesus answered for our sins. Because I know some of you are thinking today, right now you're thinking, oh, I wouldn't like to stand in front of God. He's going to get me. Oh, I... No, he got Jesus on your behalf. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, listen. There's nothing in the world like this. There's no other. There's, there's a guy, he, hey, two minutes, I'm, I'm going to die. I'm going to stand before God. What do you got? Nothing. You're going to hell. There's nothing like the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing. And that, isn't that awesome? You can be the man on the cross dying for your sins. Next to Jesus. Hey, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Sure. Amen. You'll be with me today in paradise. How do you like those apples? He can do that. Two minutes from death, two hours, two years. We're all, we all, we're all terminal. Don't, by the way, don't wait till you stab in the back two minutes. Make your peace with God now. Uh, everyone's going to know me from least to the grace. I'll be merciful to their righteousness. Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And that he saith, a new covenant he hath made. The first old, now that which decayeth and waxed old is ready to vanish away. Has it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was never a means for righteousness. The problem with the law is the do's and don'ts. We kept doing the, the, the don'ts and we, didn't, and we failed to do all the do's. You know how many, anyone here know how many laws there are in the Old Testament? 600 and something. 613. You keep them all? <laughs> Don't even joke about it. Come on. But he said, well, I messed up a couple of them. Some pretty big ones. Hey, hey, I got a word from God. Your sins and your iniquities, I'll remember no more. Jesus paid the price. My sins are ugly. They're shameful. Every day, I, I always think like, if you knew me, you wouldn't. You'd either run out of the church or you'd run out of the church screaming or you'd run out of the church screaming with your hair on fire. Those are all the options. I don't know anyone sit here and listen to me after they know what I've been through. But I've got to tell you something. God has ordained me to this because he don't care. He doesn't, he's not keeping score. 
He's just... Okay, chapter 9. Then verily the first covenant also had ordinances of divine service and of a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made. The first one was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. This was true of the, uh, of the tabernacle. It will be true later on of the temple. And after the second veil, the tabernacle was just called the holiest of all. Oh, he's making a, a difference. He's, he's, he's teaching us something. And he's going somewhere with this. Okay, inside the temple proper, there's a holy place and there's a most holy place. There's a, there's a veil separating the holiest of holies uh, from the holy, okay, there's an there's a, there's a inner place and then there's an inner, inner place, okay? Um, and the inner, inner, or the holiest of all, the holy of holies, it had this golden censer. You think that's the, the altar of incense? No, I think it was the golden censer that Aaron took in there, and I think it's been in there ever since. The golden sense, the Ark of the Covenant, now that's an indisputable, we all know that. The Ark of the Covenant, the box, the chest, is, as we would think of it, it's uh, yay by yay by yay, and it's uh, uh, you know, a cubit and a half by a cubit by a cubit, I think, or something, I can't remember, and it's, it's made of, I think, cedar wood, and it's overlaid with gold all around, very heavy, it would be like 600 pounds or more, and that depends on how thick the lid is and, and how actual, but, you know, we're talking about like, you know, a lot of men carrying it. It's it's heavy, and it's got this as we would think of it, a lid on top. And let's just let's just read his description. Uh, at the Ark of the Covenant, all laid round about with gold. Wherein was the golden pot that had manna? You remember that they put a a pot of manna in it. Had Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. And over it were the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat, of which you cannot now speak particularly or in detail. Why? Remember when he says about, I'd like to talk to you about Melchizedek back in chapter 5, but you ain't ready to hear it. And then he had to put the basis in for his discussion so that now we were ready to hear it in chapter 7. Is he saying the same thing here? I don't think so. He's not saying you're lazy of hearing. He's saying, I can't, I think he's saying like, well, I, I can't talk about that right now in detail. Why? Because it's a long thing. It would take me to develop and it would derail from where I'm going. I think it's all he's saying here. Uh, I'd like to talk to you more about that, but I can't get into the specifics right now. Uh, now, let me tell you just as specific as we want to get. Cherubim have to do, they're angels. You think of cherub, you think of a little fat baby with a diaper because of a, uh, you know, medieval art and, and uh, what's the word, re... Renaissance art. A cherub is a fearsome <laughs> being. It's an angel. Satan was a cherub before he fell. Okay, He's, it's it's a it's an order of angels. You remember they have the four faces, and you know, face of a man, the face of an ox, the face of a lion, the face of an eagle, and they have wings and eyes round about. And we're, we're several places in Scripture, most notably in Ezekiel, we we're told about cherubim. If 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 you saw a cherub right now, you'd probably tip right over. I know my heart would just like, <laughs> wouldn't take it very well. I don't even have a heart condition that I know about. I'm just, if they, like I say, they're a pretty awesome being. Uh, and they always uh, are about the presence of God. Okay, that's what they're all about. In, in Ezekiel, um, and we see it again in the uh, early chapters of the book of Revelation, most notably chapter 3 and 4, cha chapter 5. We see the cherub around the cherubs. Cherub 
Cherubims shouldn't be here. It's cherubim is already plural. S is just, that's not right. <laughs> Grammatically, it's not correct. The im on the end of a Hebrew noun is plural. One cherub, two cherubim, or three cherubim. That's, so cherubims is wrong. Uh, over the cherubim of glory, shadowing the mercy seat. We're not going to talk about that right now. And these things were thus ordained. The priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. They were always in the holy place. That's kind of where they did business, right? But in the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. There were seven, and that was on Yom Kippur. There were 70 sacrifices before he went in there. And he had to do things, and they were very prescribed and set in order, and he had to do them in such and such a way. Could he go into the holy place without the blood? Oh, he'd, he'd, he'd get knocked over by the glory of God. He would, he would die. Could he go in there without the blood? No. Could he go out there without the ceremonial washings, without all the sacrifice in place? No. So he went into the Holy of Holies once a year, only the high priest. Really? Yeah. So what do they do now? They don't have a temple. Ah, they blow a trumpet and all your sins go away. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So if I were Jewish, I'd think of a different... Just, just a thought. Um, in this, but in the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of his people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest was not yet made manifest, while as the first temp, uh, tabernacle was yet standing. The Holy Spirit's telling us something, the writer says, that the way to the presence of God is not manifest yet. So listen to the argument. Come back. Come back to Judaism. We have the temple. We have the high priest. We have Yom Kippur. Yeah, I live in the presence of God. You've got a high priest who's going in on my behalf. I'm taking a step backwards, aren't I? Now once the temple's destroyed, where's your argument now? That temple's earmarked for destruction for a reason. God's saying, I'm done with this. Oh, you know, no, Adam, no, no. Titus Vespasian and the Jews were rebelling and, and he came in and he sacked Jerusalem and 1.1 to 1.9 million people were killed depending on whose statistics you listen to and the whole city was ransacked and the temple was destroyed and it was set on fire and it melted down all the gold that was covering everything got in between the cracks to the point where every stone was disassembled right down to the very foundation as Jesus was said, not one stone would be on another. That's what happened, Adam. Yeah, that's in the natural. God's saying, I'm done with this. Or he never would let Titus Vespasian show up and sack the city anyway. I'm done with this. Now what do you got? Now what is your argument? Hey, I'm still living in the heavenlies. Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Do I have an entrance into the throne room of God? Do I have to be a high priest and wait for some once a year thing and do this ritual with blood and go in there? And you know, they would be in there and they'd have these bells that would be ringing constantly. And if the bells stop ringing, pull them on out, reel them on out because they, they got a rope tied to their leg because if they tipped over, who's going in after them? You can't go in there. Wait, don't you live there? Don't you live in the presence of God? Remember we were talking about Cormdale, the face of God. Don't you live there? Like uh, I'm, everything I do is right in God's face. I live like I'm right in His, His countenance is upon me all the time. Don't we pray for His countenance to be upon us all the time? Don't we live at the right hand of God? We do in Christ. 
And, and we, like, we're told to like, enter into the throne room of God with boldness It's saying. I always try, I'm thinking like bold as butter. I belong here. Uh, you know, uh, myriads of angels, holy, holy, holy. Me, I'm a son. Free pass. Right into the presence of God anytime we want. Do I have to wait for a priest? I am a priest. Do I have to wait for a high priest? He lives right there. He's my older brother. He lives at the right hand of God. Listen, listen. You ain't got an argument. You ain't got a leg to stand on. Oh, come back. Come back to the what? Destruction? It was earmarked for destruction. It was, God never had in his mind that that was going to make us perfect. Uh, listen, I, I, I told you why I was so excited about this. This is the payoff. We live in the throne room of God. We don't wait for Yom Kippur. By the way, this, this shed so much light on our... our, our you, are you troubled by the Sabbath keepers? Oh, you know, Saturday's the day you're supposed to worship. The Sabbath has nothing to do with worship. It has everything to do with what day you should refrain from work. That's, it's, it's holy. Keep, don't work. Now, should we do that? Well, should you keep all the Jewish laws that you can't keep? How do you, how, so a guy was telling me like, oh, you got to keep Sabbath and stuff. A good friend of mine, he's born again, and he's Seventh-day Adventist. Not all Seventh-day Adventists. Seventh-day Adventist goes from cult to slightly askew Christianity, okay? And he's slightly askew Christianity. I believe he's born again. He's a friend of mine. And he was, oh, you got to keep, what do you think? You're going to keep nine commandments and the tenth one all of a sudden doesn't count? I said, a lot of, a lot of the Old Testament rules don't count. How is your... How was your Yom Kippur observance this year, I asked him. My what? Day of Atonement, Leviticus 23. What's your problem? How come you don't know that? And you've picked just this one that we've got to observe? And by the way, Sabbatarians, it's a lot more to it than that. They don't keep Sabbath. They keep Shemitah year. Seventh year, they don't plant their garden. I mean, there's a lot more to it than that. But I'm just thinking, law, shma, I can't keep it anyway. Thanks, Jesus, and thanks for giving me access to God. Do I think, like, law is nothing? No, I think it's very, it tells us the heart of God. Well, listen, Sunday night, we're in Leviticus. We'll be learning about Jewish dietary laws, and they have much to tell us. By the way, I won't tell you about that now. We're about to have dinner, and if, if there was, uh, like, scallops wrapped with bacon, I don't want to mess it up for you. Uh, you know, so we had this fundraiser last night, me and Suze, and the people coming around, they had, like, you know, uh, chicken satay and they had little egg roll things and they had like uh, Swedish meatballs but the lady like with the with the scallops with the bacon wrap I was following her okay like a puppy dog I had to tackle her a few times it was really embarrassing hey don't, hey, don't, don't walk so fast the lady and I was grabbing them and stuff I, every time she came around what would I had about eight of them I'll bet right to the glory of God I'm just saying God has made me fat, and he's blessed me with fatness. Okay. Where are I? I get so carried away here. Oh, yeah, no, we, we learn law. We, we talk about law. We want to understand it. This is God's perfect ideals. And he, and he, and he's, but you can't keep them, and he's made a way for us to be righteous. You, if you, you could be righteous by the law theoretically. Only one person has done it thus far, and it wasn't Moses, the guy who gave us law. It was Jesus Christ who perfectly fulfilled the law on our behalf because we can't and because we haven't. And by the time we finally learn about law, we're already a lawbreaker so much. It's, well, let's keep moving. Oh, oh okay. Um, the Holy Ghost, he was signifying the holiest was not what he had made manifest while the first tabernacle was standing, which was a figure. 
or a type. This is a symbolic of or a shadow. This is why I haven't spent so much time. It, the, the, the tabernacle was a figure for the time then present, which were that offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. What do you mean? Well, they had to do it all the time. If it worked, how come it only it would have worked once for all time? Which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of Reformation. What time of Reformation? Christ. But Christ being come in high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, not of this world, Neither by the blood of goats or calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Isn't that a good system? You want to go do the other system? Listen, we don't have a tabernacle, we don't have a temple, but I'll, I'll put on some garb and pointy hat and you know, all the right colors and stuff like that. And from now on, you, you, you sin this week, you'll bring a, bring a lamb and I'll play the part of the high priest. I'll have to bring a lamb because... I've sinned this week. And, or a goat. Goats are okay. Oh, you're poor. Two turtle doves would be fine. I'll wring their neck right here. This place would be just covered with blood because guess what? Everyone's going to need a... a you want to do that system? Or, you, <laughs> naked. or do you want to do the one that Jesus has installed already? He's, he's the... Neither by the blood of, bulls, uh, blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered... In once into the holy place. The holy of holies is the idea. The real one. Not the, not the one that's symbolic of the real one here on earth. Having obtained eternal redemption for us. Is it like only for a year? Like Yom Kippur? You got to do it again next year? Oh no. No. It's eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the puring of the flesh... If, if that had its effect, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? That's an amazing verse. How much more? How much better? How much? He, he offered His own blood, His spotless blood. We learn about that on, on uh, Sunday nights. Uh, the, the offering all, always had to be perfect unblemished, okay? Uh, you couldn't have a, a, a lamb that was attacked by a wolf and it was all half chewed up and missing a leg and bring us an offering because it all spoke of Jesus Christ who was perfect. The, the priest examined the sacrifice. He never examined the person bringing it. It was a foregone conclusion that that person had a flaw, that that person had a blemish, Otherwise, why is he bringing a sacrifice? Don't you like God's way of doing it better? I'm flawed. I've got to start living my life really good, and maybe I'll make it. Maybe I'll do more good than bad. I, I wouldn't like that system on my best day to be judged by how much I've done. No, I want to be judged on behalf of what Jesus has done on my behalf. He took away my sins. He's cleansed me from all my wickedness. God has given me a new heart. Uh, but what about all that sin? Your sins, your iniquities, I'll remember no more, God says. You're a good God. You're a good God. For, for, and for this cause is the mediator, he's the mediator of a new uh, testament. 
that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions at one of the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Let's talk briefly about inheritance. We're going to finish this chapter. It's too much. And I don't want to rush it. Let's talk about eternal inheritance. Is it just your salvation? Just fire insurance. You're not going to hell. Yay! It sounds like a nasty place. Outer darkness, uh, gnashing of teeth, uh, where their worm is not destroyed. Uh, no. No. Thirst all the time. No. No. No, don't sign me up. That's a nasty place. And if all he did was save us from that nasty place, good enough, yea, you're my hero forever, that's not all he's done. He's called us into an eternal inheritance. The meek will inherit the earth. You know, we talk about like heaven or hell, like that's the end goal. No, if you read the last chapter of Revelation, it's a new heaven, a new earth. And that's yours and mine in Christ. Uh, he's promised us an eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also be of necessity the death of a testator. Okay, he's talking about testament, a will. And it's not good until you die. I have one. I don't. I don't. I, I, I'm going to have one. But I've got like, for my life insurance, or for my retirement, my wife is the benefactor. I've made those things. And if we both die, then my son gets. You would imagine that's the case. Most of us have, uh, who reach my advanced ages, which is nobody here except one or two. Uh, um, when you're, you know, you're ready to retire or you're retired or something like that, you have, you have earthly goods and you want them to, you don't want them to be uh, taken by the state, not more than their share anyway. So you've got a will. Uh, but it only is in force when you die. And that's what it's saying here. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon, neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. The first time, there was blood of animals. When Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wood and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. I said before, how do our Jewish friends now celebrate Yom Kippur? It's still on the calendar. It's still, it happened a couple, three weeks ago. Okay, they still have it. But they don't have a temple. They don't have a high priest. They don't know where the Ark of the Covenant is. How are we going to take blood that I... I got a goat and the whole, you know, thing. And how am I going to sprinkle it on the Holy of Holies that doesn't exist and on the covenant? We, we don't know any of that where it is. And who's the high priest? You have a hard time doing that. But isn't it important that you do? Well, without shedding of blood, there is no remission. The wages of sin is still death. And by the way, we understand, you know, let's, let's reassemble all Hey, they're going to do it. <laughs> they got an institute of, uh, uh, te the Temple Institute, and they've got, they're training men to be Levitical, and they're tr showing them how to do sacrifices. It's going to happen. The Bible tells it's going to happen. There's going to be a temple that the Antichrist is going to go in the middle of the tribulation and defile, and, the, you know, the, um, 
the abomination of desolation will happen. There will be a temple. I think we'll, in my thinking, my theology, we'll be watching it from the mezzanine. Story for another time. But it's going to happen because they understand this principle. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of these things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered into the holy place made with hands. He never did go into the holy of holies. Not in the temple, which was there marked for destruction. There are figures of the true. But into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. He did the real deal. He didn't do the fake fire drill thing. He didn't take advantage of the shadow. He went into the very presence of God. Not the symbolic presence of God, where there was symbolic cherubim, right? He went into the very presence of God, where there was... Did he have a pile of his own blood? Or I, I don't know that, that how much necessary. I don't understand all that happened. It doesn't tell us that, right? But he's in the presence of God. Not yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters into the holy post every year with the blood of others. He doesn't have to do it every time. Why? Once was enough. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. Catholics, Brian brought up Catholic, the masses, the unbloody sacrifice of Calvary offered over and over and over again. By the way, that's blasphemy. According to this verse, he did it once for all. Why? Because it was effectual once for all. You've got to understand that, right? He died for your sins. Well, but I've sinned since I got saved. He died for that sin too. He died for sins I won't commit until next Tuesday. He's good that way. It doesn't have to be like he has to sacrifice again and again and again and again. His sacrifice is effectual for all time. When it happened, I wasn't even born yet and still had its effect on purifying me from my sins. For then must he have often suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Bulls and goats? No. The very blood of the Son of God. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. Reincarnation is the motto. Is, the, is the, what we believe in, right? And you, get, you come back and karma and you... What a horrible system that would be. I'd come back as a jellyfish and then algae or pond scum. Just saying. I mean, if that's the whole thing, you'd get farther behind every time, wouldn't you? Like that old Tennessee Ernie Ford song. Uh, you know, 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. That's how it would work. No, you get one shot at this thing. And after that, the judgment. You're going to stand before God. What do you want to do? Well, I never committed adultery. I never killed anyone. You're, I got a better plan. Jesus died for all my sins. I've accepted him as my Lord and Savior. By the way, he'd know that anyway. Jesus will be there introducing you to God, your Father. Just, just saying. Okay, so we're going to finish there. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. Once offered to bear the sins of all no no everyone ends up in heaven in the end love wins no the sins of many who are the many the ones who accept him we're not the majority the majority is earmarked for destruction by your own choice there's a there's a broad road that leads to destruction many there be that find it the few it's many a lot people are saved through the ages, but we're, we're not the majority. We never are.
Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. We'll, we'll start in that verse next time. Stand if you would. And, uh, our, we're going to send us out of here. Our worship guy is going to send us out of here in song. Lord, incredible blessings are ours. This great salvation. Uh, I, for one, am glad. I don't want to be part of that old sacrificial system. It's not that I'm squeamish. It's just that I'd never own anything. I'd never have a sheep or a goat or anything because I'd have to offer them all to you all the time. I like this system better where I'm inheriting all things, where I've become your very own son. You've put a new mind in my in my head and a new heart in my chest. And Lord, for as many of us who understand this, we praise You, we thank You for this glorious salvation. Now the Lord bless Thee and keep Thee. The Lord make His face shine upon Thee and be gracious unto Thee. The Lord lift up His countenance upon Thee and give Thee peace. Amen. It is our desire to get God's Word out to all, so our podcasts and everything else downloaded from our website is free. But we do have expenses, and if you feel led to give a dollar for this resource, please go ahead and click the Give tab on our website at plowboyministries.org. Grace and peace. And everything I want out dear I count it all as lost Lead me to the cross Where your love poured